Welcome back to another episode of the It's Unreal Estate podcast, the show that demystifies the home buying and selling process. My name is David Grant. I'm your host. I'm also a broker here for Grant Real Estate LLC in Salt Lake City. Today on the show, I'm going to be talking about where are people staying put, where are people leaving, and where is probably the best shot for you to buy right now. I'm also going to be talking about how I got into real estate in hopes that my journey might inspire somebody else to go after something that they love. Stay with us. All right, so each week I like to go through the statistics of the market, and there's always aspects of the market that I touch on in each episode. But today's episode, I just want to talk about in relationship to last year, where are people tending to stay? Now, last year we had uh, uh, issues with COVID, and so people were staying put. They had to work from home. They weren't able to find the properties that they loved But now that we're seeing people going back to work, plus it's spring break for a lot of you, and because of that, we're nearing the end of the school year, and in Q1 and the beginning of Q2, that's always the busiest time for real estate because we tend to see more people coming and going based on the school year. So if you are looking to buy in Salt Lake County, Uh, this is probably not going to be in favor for you. This is the space of our state that most people are staying put. We only have 421 active listings right now, and this time last year we had 70-plus more uh, than we do now. That's a lot of homes. But every other county, every other main county, Utah County, Uh, Davis County, even further north in Weber County, and then all the way down south in Washington County, basically St. George. All of those areas we're seeing a higher number of properties for sale now than we did last year. So let's just real briefly talk about in each of those counties, where am I seeing most people staying put? Now, uh, obviously that would mean Salt Lake. So Salt Lake, if you're looking to live in Salt Lake City specifically proper, they they have less uh, for sale now than they did last year by a lot. So they only have 112. Last year they had 193. And if you're looking to live in Bluffdale, first of all, Bluffdale isn't very big. It's pretty saturated to begin with. They're always building out there, but there's literally only five active listings for sale in all of Bluffdale. And then, uh, you know, basically what does that leave you with? Well, my recommendation would be let's go a little further west you're going to have an easier time. So I've already mentioned it on previous episodes, but Magna is a great spot. They have 19 for sale right now, up from six from last year. You can also go to Sandy or West Valley. So Sandy is technically on the east side. Uh, It's the one of the third largest suburb of Salt Lake City next to West Valley. And Sandy has 32. So between West Valley and Sandy, you've got 65 you know, active listings right there. And then the big one that I'm seeing that's pretty surprising is South Jordan. So if you're willing to go west out to South Jordan, now that will carry with it most likely a pretty good size HOA, no matter the property type. They've got 50 just in South Jordan alone for sale right now. So the big dark horse though, that I thought was kind of hilarious, and I'll I'll mention these in each county, is Riverton. So if you're familiar with Riverton, it's between 
the I-15 all the way going west to Harriman and, and South Jordan. It's that area right in the middle there on the west side. They had none for sale this time last year. So most people in Riverton were staying put. It's a well-established family area. They have 13 for sale right now, so up from zero. So let's move south for a minute. The same thing goes for uh, two different places in the south. So Alpine, our most expensive area code, or sorry, zip code in the state of Utah. They had zero for sale this time last year. They have 17 for sale. So we're seeing people leaving Alpine. We're also seeing people leaving Eagle Mountain. They had zero for sale this time last year. That's kind of surprising considering it's such uh, a, an area of such growth, but that's how many people were looking to move there because of how affordable it was. Even Alpine would have been considered more affordable than it is right now. They have 39 for sale. So that's the biggest jump right now that I've seen uh, in our state is Eagle Mountain. So if you're looking for a place to live, you don't mind living a little little further west out uh, down south of the point of the mountain, go to Eagle Mountain. They have 39 for sale right now. And then uh, Highland, also, they've got a bunch for sale. Go to Highland. Or if you're willing to go further south, Payson, Spanish Fork, Salem, between those three, you've got nearly 70 different active listings for sale. Where are people not leaving, though? Vineyard. They only have two properties total for sale, and this time last year they had 22. So, And then if you want to go further north because you don't like Salt Lake, uh, go to Ogden. Again, it's it's uh, my recommendation as the single best place right now to invest as a buyer. It's in your favor. You could probably get it for below what people are listing it for. They have uh, 50 plus, and then if you want to potentially go hang out with the retirees or those that just like warmer weather, go to St. George. They have 67 homes for sale right now, up from 35. So again, just to recap right now, if you're looking to live in Salt Lake City, it's this is probably not the best time for you. Uh, if you're looking to live in a hotbed like Bluffdale's, still, again, probably not a great time. But if you want to live in Salt Lake County, go west. Uh, or take your chances in Sandy. I do show a lot of Sandy properties on my feed for that reason. Or if you want to live further south, go all the way south. Spanish Fork, Salem, Payson, Santa Quinn. You're going to have the best of luck down there. Or just keep on driving to Vegas and on your way, stop in and get a second home in St. George. So that does it for us for Market Watch. Those are my recommendations for where to look right now. If you're looking to buy, looking to sell, DM me at my handle, It's in Real Estate, on my Instagram. You can take a look at the different funny and interesting properties that I show there. On my next segment, I want to talk about my journey into real estate in hopes that it might inspire some listener out there to you know go after their passion. Stay with us. All right, so like every week, I've got my producer Ryan here on the show with us. Ryan does all of the editing, and we're so grateful for all the work that they do here at Mountaineer Studios. And so sometimes it's easier to talk to somebody versus just to talking out loud. So Ryan may or may not interject this episode based on questions that he may have about my journey. He does play a part in this journey uh, toward the end of it, but I'm going to be very brief on each aspect of my journey. My point in doing this is I was going through social media this week. I always do a lot of research 
on other social media accounts as I do my own. I want to see what other people are doing because I want to learn. Plus, I'm always entertained by it. And so I do follow quite a few local and national, like really well-known real estate people, as well as just lots of other social media personalities. And I find that the most captivating things are going to be people's personal stories. And so like, for instance, I listened to the Office Ladies podcast. Uh, I was a fan of the show. And I don't just want to know about the show. I want to know about the actors. I want to know their personal stories, what they were going through, what they had to deal with. It, I think that part is interesting. And so I talk a lot about real estate. And some of you out there may not listen because you don't care about real estate. Or some of you out there may listen to it and think, yeah, I already, I already know all this. But what probably most of you don't know is the journey I took to getting into it. In fact, I haven't even really clued Ryan into a lot of this. Uh, Ryan's brother Alex and I lived together for a long, long time before he got married. And even after he got married, I lived in their house. And that was uh, one of the beginnings of where I got started in real estate. And so uh, Mountaineer Studios is on this property right now. So there's a whole tie-in to the people that are in my life, even currently, that helped me through this part. And so my journey isn't just going to be about choices I've made. It's going to be about people that have been put in my path. And so to begin, I didn't ever see myself as a real estate agent ever. I never even considered real estate. I never wanted to do sales. It wasn't even on my mind. Uh, when I was in college, I wanted to be a therapist. That's what I went to college for. In fact, uh, Ryan's brother, Alex, is ha has his master's in psychology. That was something that he and I shared when we lived together. And this is what we talked about. And this is what I wanted to do. I wanted to help people. But at the time, I didn't really consider what all that would entail. And so I made a lot of mistakes along the way. I did a lot of things right. I got published. I did some research, got published. I was a research assistant. Uh, I worked at a treatment facility and got some experience with therapists and those that were at the treatment facility. But two years in a row, I applied to all these different programs and did well in the GRE. I just didn't get in. And then I'm seeing people like Ryan's brother, Alex, get in. And he was able to go on and get his degree. And I thought, man, I don't understand what I did wrong. But it turned out to be a blessing in disguise because for those of you that know about going on and getting uh, more education, it costs money. And then afterward, you have to basically substantiate that need for that, that education by going and making money and paying it all back. So I thought, I do want to help people. But I also want to make money. And I don't want to be capped on the amount. If I want to work hard, I want to be able to make the amount that I work. And if I go and I get this education, then can I pay that back and then make additional money? And so I had a, um, a very good friend talk me out of continuing to try. Uh, he does have his master's degree, but he just basically said, he's an accountant. And he basically said, listen, can you make the amount of money over the next two years that you would make as an increase by getting something like a master's either in therapy, which is the goal or like an MBA. I thought maybe I would just go try my hand at that. And I thought, yeah, I probably can, you know, make more money over the next two years. He says, then it would cost you this amount to make that exact same amount of money. Why get the education? He talked me out of it. For those that do it and have a bigger mindset than me, great. I think it's awesome. But what I ended up doing was I ended up feeling pretty confident. I'm going to give up on this and I'm going to do another passion. And my brother actually talked me into that passion. He saw that I was a good carpenter and I wanted to do woodworking full time and I wanted to do it for myself. But at no point did I ever want to work for myself. I love getting a W-2 
and somebody else paying, you know, my taxes and somebody else, or at least part of them, and then somebody else paying my health insurance and contributing toward, you know, my 401k. But the idea of going out on my own is a little daunting. So just to bounce ideas off of Ryan, you obviously also are, and I wouldn't consider myself really an entrepreneur. I haven't been super successful in the area of completely being on my own. But for you in this space of like the things that you're involved in, you, you, you have your hands in multiple things. Did you ever see yourself involved working for yourself the way that you are and then dealing with the stresses of those things? I don't know. There's always a dream that you don't have to like, you know, check in with the boss or whatever. You don't have someone looking over your shoulder. But as far as like understanding what that means, yeah, that's there's two different things. But um, no, I like you when you're saying like I like getting the W two. That's that's a I I feel that right now a lot because oh, I don't yeah. have a lot. I've all my stuff is the other taxes. You know, I'm trying to figure that oh, stuff yeah. out on my own. Um, but yeah, no, I know what you're saying. Like it's uh it's I guess the idea of like really having a good idea. Like I'm not one of those people that has. I always had this idea for a business and I've just been working every day to make that happen. It's kind of, I want to just do whatever is the best possible situation for me in the moment. Yeah, your, your and my situations are slightly different. Your, your family drives that necessity. Mine, I don't have. I'm, I'm a single guy and I'm social and I can basically, I'm mobile. I can do whatever I want. And so our motivations uh, can be similar in some ways and very different in other ways. Did you ever see yourself though working for yourself? Like, did you see this from before? Um, my dad did that for a long time, okay. so I had some. Like, I saw it. I saw how it worked. I, you know, as I got older, I understood how much more stressful it could be in certain ways. The degree that I have doesn't really point me to one specific career, so I kind of was like gonna have to be creative anyway. So I don't know. You find a space that, uh, like, I'm always looking for a space where there's not very many other people. So I think that usually ends up and doing it by yourself. So that's actually a really good segue. So what ended up happening was, is my brother, Nick, uh, who believed in me as somebody who could you know, work for myself. And I had a product that I kind of pitched to him and said, this is what I'm thinking of doing. It's completely different than therapy. Therapy was, well, let's work with a whole group of people and help people. And carpentry is, I don't want to talk to any of you. And I'm going to go into my own shop and I'm just going to build furniture and sell it. And what he did is he is a, as an expert at social media marketing. And he figured out things that people were searching for, but there wasn't a lot of out there. So he found me a niche. Thank goodness to him. And he invested in it. So Nick was, you know, believed in me so much in my journey and saw the hardship that I was going through trying to figure out what do I do now that I've literally left the thing I've studied for for six years and paid a whole bunch of money to go study. And so he invested in that. I was able to start carpentry. But what it did was, while it was really hard and taxing, and I, I really made a lot of mistakes, it was also going to eventually become invaluable into getting into the real estate space. And so, uh, again, as this carpenter, I ended up doing this. I wore many hats. I didn't just design and build furniture. I also had to learn about marketing, and I had to learn about running a business, and I had to learn about starting that company with the state and getting taxed. And unfortunately, I was audited by the IRS for the way I did my taxes because I didn't know what I was doing. And it was a whole drawn out process. And guess what happens when the IRS audits you? You're now on the radar. And I've been audited two other times since just to make sure that I'm doing the right thing. And so that business ended up 
not being able, I couldn't scale it. And I couldn't really, I didn't know what I was doing to scale it. And it was so much work. It ended up going under, I sold everything. And then I moved back to Texas. I thought it's time to reset. I've been in Utah a long time, going back to Texas. And I took those handyman skills back to Texas. And I started working on my parents' house, just doing miscellaneous things here and there. And I randomly got a call from a friend who said, hey, there's this real estate investment company here in Dallas that they need handyman because they go and they buy these homes at auction and then need people to go in and start rehabbing them. Would you be interested? And very quickly, I said, yep, it didn't pay a ton, but I wanted to get exposure anyway to, I didn't really want to do sales. I worked for a software company right out of college. It just in the meantime, while I was like figuring my life out and I had to make a hundred cold calls every day for them. I worked for Qualtrics when it was a baby company and now it's, you know, made of solid gold. It's amazing how much money they've made, but I didn't really care to be on that journey with them. It just wasn't for me, although I'm really happy for them. And so I ended up leaving software and I went to Dallas and took a significant pay cut just to do something that was more interesting to me. And I would drive all around Dallas, Fort Worth. We call it the Metroplex. Those two cities are massive and there's at least 5 million between the two probably more. And I drive around and I'd look at properties and I'd rehab them. And I got, I got good at it. And I got to the point where I worked my way up to being the head of these crews. I wasn't like a general contractor, but they paid me to drive around and make sure that people, these crews that they had hired to rehabbing these properties would be done correctly. And I was able to really get exposed to literally over 100 flips during the time that I worked for Main Street Renewal is the name of the company at the time. Then it got to the point where they started bringing me along. Every first Tuesday of the month, we would go down to the county, uh, the courthouse steps for Fort Worth and Dallas, and we would buy properties. You have to buy properties in cash when you go to auction. So we had bodyguards with us because we had $2 million, and we would go buy 10 houses. We would bid on them, and I would drive around the week before we bid on them, and I would look at how's the roof, how's the condition of the house. We can't go inside of the houses. Those are, we're not allowed to go in, but I looked, does it still have its air conditioning condenser? Those were being stolen for copper at the time. So if it was lacking any of those issues, we wouldn't bid on it. It was just too much of a hassle, but we were buying houses for $45,000, $60,000. And we go in and we had a whole like method, new carpet, new countertops, new paint, that simple. And at the time, because homes were so cheap, then we could turn around and sell those for double, 120 grand. But that's still relatively cheap to purchase a, a three-bedroom, two-bath home in Texas, and you could comfortably live for cheaper than you could, you know, for less than you could for renting. And so we did this method for many, many months, and this got me exposed to everything from purchasing property to talking real estate numbers with the investors who were from New York. They were very smart people. To driving around neighborhoods, what looks good, what doesn't to knowing what to waste our time on and what to not waste our time on, those types of things. It just gave me full exposure. And I thought to myself, you know, I want I want to stay in real estate, but Dallas is so freaking hot in the summertime. And plus, my life was in Utah. I had built my, my social life up here for so long that I didn't want to be away too long. It was great to see my family and spend time with them, but it wasn't really for me. And so um, there is a company here in, in Salt Lake that is 
that's made a real name for itself. It's called Entrada. And at the time, it was called Property Solutions. And they're in the multifamily space where they help uh, develop these software products that, that provide solutions for, you know, those, those uh, multi... In fact, uh, you know, Deloitte Hansen, who owns a lot of real estate all over this state, he actually used Entrada. And I implemented those software products into apartment complexes that I would later live in <laughs> up here in Utah. But what ended up happening was is Property Solutions had a Dallas office and they had a great head of their office named Chase Harrington. And he was a friend of mine. I got in touch with him and he understood that I had this experience in real estate, thought I might be interested in a job, you know, in real estate software. And now he is the president of that company here in Salt Lake City and or in Lehigh. And so he brought me on, but the job wasn't in Dallas, in the Dallas office. It was in the Lehigh office. So I got to move back. And I worked there for a year and I determined something. Okay, software is not for me. I like real estate still, but software is not for me. And working in the heat of the summer in Texas, that's not for me. So what is for me? I realized I still want to be in real estate, but how, how can I still be a part of it, make money? I can be an agent. I don't have to fix anything. I can show people properties and I can be a source of knowledge for what looks good, what doesn't look good, what, what to waste your time on and still make money. And guess what? If there's a bug in the software, I'm not an engineer. I can't fix that. But if I walk in and there's a hole in the drywall, I can say, let's get it patched. That's how simple housing can, can be. Oh, there's a leak. Let's call a plumber. But so often I was sick of dealing with people at these different software companies I worked at because I had no control over it. And I not only did I not have control over it, I had no say in what bug fixes were going to happen. Anytime that you or I use our phones and we use an app and then we see there's a software update or an app update, we're always looking at what, what, what are they fixing or changing. That's all done by people that are in the higher ups. Us as the users, we can scream all we'd like, but we're at the mercy of that. But if you and I have an electrical problem, we can call an electrician. You know, we can call a plumber. I liked how simple real estate was. So after all of that, I got some great advice from my brother because I wasn't really enjoying my job at Entrada. It's not Entrada's fault. I just wasn't enjoying the space of being in software. And my brother at the time was in a completely different information system space out in Atlanta. He's a very brilliant guy. He's a systems engineer. I don't really understand what he does, but he was working for Cisco Systems. And he is working with these very intelligent people who run these companies that are, you know, I'm 38, that are my age and multi, multi-millionaires many times over and CEOs of these great companies. And they understand that people like my brother are intelligent and going to have other options. And so they support each other. And Spencer called me as I was telling him about, I don't really like what I'm doing and I want to do something else, but I'm afraid to go out on my own. And I don't really want to go out on my own again because the last time I did that, my company went under. I didn't make very much money. I don't think I was that good at it. And the IRS really gave me a hard time. I'm not good at business, so I'm not going to do this again. And he came to me and said, listen, no matter whatever you do, don't leave and try to right now. And I said, why? Why can't I just go find something else? He goes, I got great advice from my last boss at Cisco. I went to him and I said, I'm looking at switching things up. And he said, Spencer, we will support you, but only if you're going towards something and not away from something. And so what he meant by that was, is if all you're doing is leaving Cisco because you hate it here, don't do that. 
You're just going to take you and your problems to the next company and you're probably not going to like it. That's not a solution. But if this is something that you want to do and you can see yourself doing it, go toward it and we will support that. So he told me that advice. And I really thought long and hard. I thought, man, what can I do instead of just leaving Entrada as if that's going to solve my problems? Then what can I go toward? And so I ended up deciding I want to be an agent. And I did all the research on it. And I realized, wow, this is 100% commission. If I don't work, if I don't make money, it's not going to come weekly or biweekly. No one's paying me a W-2. No one's paying my insurance. No one's helping me pay half my taxes. No one's paying toward my 401k. What am I going to do about that? And I decided I would rather work for myself and have the freedom that that allots me. And I'm not constrained. Not that a family is a constraint, but it wasn't something that I had to provide for. And so I thought this is a great opportunity for me to try something like this. And for those of you out there that are much more brave than me, you can absolutely easily do this with a partner uh, like like a spouse of some kind or just a life partner or a friend who can be your partner, which I'll talk about in a minute, or even with your family. This is absolutely doable. I've seen other people do it. It just wasn't for me. I, mentally, I think I needed to be in the space I was in socially and, and where I was economically in order to make this leap. So I ended up taking the courses. I passed and I linked up with a former colleague from a different job from before and he brought me on to, to Remax, and I learned all the ropes of what fees I'd have to pay. What, what was a, a real estate commission split? He would give me leads, and I would convert those leads, and he would teach me how. And then he put me in touch with other colleagues that we worked as a team, and I learned from them as well. And it was just this invaluable circumstance where I, in my first year, I did 20-plus units sold. And it was great. And then I was recruited by a different brokerage, ERA Brokers, which did win many accolades nationally. And they're fabulous. And I learned from their broker and I learned from other agents there. And I've done so many deals with them. And all of a sudden I started realizing, okay, I can do this. This is easily the hardest thing I've ever done, but I would not trade it for anything. And there's peaks and valleys. There's times when it's high and I'm busy and I'm busy out of my face, busy. And then there's other times where I'm sitting on my hands thinking, how have I not made a dime in seven months? Like, how can I continue doing it this way? Well, my journey obviously wouldn't stop here because it would only get harder, but it would also get more interesting. And what ended up happening was, is little by little, I would start posting things just on my personal Instagram page that I didn't really care too much about. It wasn't even linked up with my Facebook page. TikTok was not even a real idea yet. And I think it was musically before it was TikTok. And I, it wasn't really a thing like it is right now, but people weren't really using Instagram like they are right now. And so every now and again, I'd see something funny in the house and I post it. And then I would see something funny or interesting and I post it and I get all these comments and I didn't really care about the comments. I didn't know about social media engagement. And I thought, okay, I mean, it's funny. And I'm not like here just to rip on houses, but I see so many that I have to share this. I started getting comments and then people would say, we want to see more. We want to see more. And so I started every time that I would take my clients out, if they didn't like a property, I wasn't going to pick apart the properties they liked, but if they didn't like one, 
and definitely not the properties that they were selling. I would never pick apart a property that I'm, I'm listing. But for those properties that we looked at and they didn't like, I would go back through and take some videos of things. But the walkthroughs would come later. So basically what happened up until this point was everything's going fine. Real estate seems like it's going to go nowhere, but it's steadily up. Uh, the economy seems strong. <clears throat> I have a slight social media influence, but who cares about it? And then I'm hit with some bad news. I go to the dentist and I find out that I have all these dental problems. And the only way to solve those dental problems is, is with jaw surgery. These problems should have been handled when I was a kid, but they were never brought up to my parents who would have done something about it. I don't know. Ryan, have you ever had that issue along the way on your journey? You, you're Again, without me going too much into detail of all the things that you have your hands in, like, did you ever have any blows to the process for you along the way as you, you and your spouse or just you and your other partners tried to figure out some of your small businesses? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's always something that you probably should have seen, but you didn't pay attention to. And then it just kind of rears its ugly head. Were there any things that came up that you could not have foreseen? Um, I know in college I had a couple specifically, like I had to change majors a couple of times. Not, not, not any like traumatic experience just I didn't think things through the right way and then when I but I think one of the things like uh you, you said so earlier about like your business about scaling your business I know that one of our businesses like all of the stress comes from how does this get bigger you know like what like it needs to get bigger but what's the next step and those those questions are so daunting and so like it's sometimes hard to make those next steps so I think we've we've had those those ceilings a lot so absolutely it, that's one of the hardest parts about trying something on your own is when you hit a spot and you think, how do I make this into something more? What's interesting, just to go back for one second, is right before my carpentry, like furniture business went under, I was approached by Sundance. So Sundance here is a ski resort. It's where Robert Redford you know, currently owns. But they also have this thing called the Sundance Catalog where they sell very high-end furniture. And they looked at my furniture and said, we love it. We want 100 units, but you have to have that available. And everything I made was made to order. It was made in my garage. And so I couldn't scale it. And they said, listen, we would love to do business with you, but if you can't scale it, frankly, you can't do this. And that was flattering and also <laughs> demoralizing all at the same time because I thought, I got to be done. This is way too much work. And so you may hit some roadblocks like that and your first business may go under. And maybe your second business goes under. But again, at the very end of this, I'll kind of wrap this all in and how this all plays into why I am where I am now. But what ended up happening, fast forward to this part where I'm talking about my jaw surgery is, I mean, how do I do a job where I talk to people if I can't talk? And how do I do my job where I have to show properties if I can't leave my house because my jaw's wired shut and my face blew up like a balloon and I've literally never been in more pain? Kanye West vibes. <laughs> you know what? Good for him. Dude figured out how to become a billionaire and write music through being having his jaw shut. Listen, he's a better, better man than I am. But what ended up happening was is I had to have my upper jaw widened and they had to make room for my teeth. That was the problem. And then I had my jaw shut. I lost a bunch of weight. I couldn't talk. I had to relearn how to talk because I had a device in my mouth called a palatal expander, which inhibited my ability to speak correctly. 
Turns out if you can't touch your tongue to your roof of your mouth, you can't pronounce a lot of English, you know, words. And it was just really hard. I was 35 at the time. It was just socially, my life was over. I just had to kind of put my social life on hold. Um, enjoying food was out. I couldn't chew for three months. I lost 31 pounds. And then I had braces on for another year and a half. I already had them twice as a kid. This is my third time. But what ended up happening was is I thought, what do I do now that everything is on hold? What's What else can I do? And I realized, okay, I think I have the requirements met to become a broker. Now, for those that don't know, an agent is a real estate professional who works in a brokerage. The brokerage is where all of the liability of a transaction is actually held. So Remax, Keller Williams, and so on, they actually are who you have your relationship with, and an extension of them is their agents. Those agents, by law, have to work in a brokerage. But a broker is who is in charge of the brokerage. Technically, it's who each of my clients have a relationship with. That's the binding clause is with that broker because I, the agent, am not liable. The brokerage is liable. And so I thought I could become a broker. And if I become a broker, then I could have my own brokerage, small boutique brokerage, and do things my way. And I don't have to share my money with anybody. Now, it's worth it when you're starting out because you want that help and that advice. They make you signs. They give you uh, a media presence online. They can even give you websites. That all costs money. But if you're doing something and you realize maybe you don't need some of those offerings and you could do it on your own, I thought, okay, I had the number of transactions required. I had the amount of money required, sold in those transactions. And all I needed to do now was, and I had the years of experience, I had at least three years. So now what I needed was to take the courses, which was another 120 hours. And then I needed to take the tests and then get audited by the Department of Real Estate from the state of Utah. And so while I was in bed for two and a half months, I just did eight hours every single day of online courses. And I knocked it out, took the test, passed the test. And then the Department of Real Estate thought, you know what we're going to do? We're going to up our standard for the type of brokers we want. We're going to scrutinize more than we normally would. So over many months, they scrutinized 35 of my transactions just with the fine tooth comb. I literally delivered it like a, like a, eight inch wide file folder of all of my physical copies of everything and put tabs on it and just tried to make their life as easy as possible. But after that process that year, not only were my, I did I heal from jaw surgery and my teeth were starting to move properly, but I would become a broker and that brokerage that being coming a broker would allow me to have become an associate broker at ERA. I started to learn from my broker I started to have different experiences than I thought I would. And then that would eventually lead to me splitting off from ERA. Again, they're very, uh, like what, what my brother Spencer had, they were very supportive of me doing my own thing. But I would end up partnering up with my former partner, Andy Dean. Now, Andy, I had on uh, a, f- a former podcast. He's a real estate investor who just shoots for the moon and he's winning. Him and his wife are an incredible duo. She's an agent. And he's got all these great ideas and they go together and they have purchased many, many, many properties, sold many properties, built giant apartment complexes all over the country. And he is just killing it. But he and I partnered up at the beginning stages of his business here. And I was helping out with rehabbing properties 
and I was helping out with a major part that a broker can do, which is manage properties. A property manager technically can't manage anybody else's properties, but properties they own. You can't manage other people's properties unless you yourself are a broker or you're under a brokerage. And so I, we started our brokerage under my brokerage, right? And I was able to also manage properties and really quickly learned I hated that about as much as I hated making 100 cold calls every day for Qualtrics. So again, Qualtrics, great company. I just didn't like making 100 phone calls a day to people who didn't care. So Andy would, again, our paths would take different places because I thought, okay, so far, this is what I know. I know what I want to do. That's real estate. I know what I don't want to do. And that is work in the heat of the day, rehabbing properties myself. I don't want to work in software if I can avoid it. And I don't want to be a property manager. So what I want to do is I want to uh, have my own brokerage. I help people buy and sell properties. And I want to bring on agents. And I want to personally educate and learn. And this is where this part gets interesting. I start to do more walkthroughs. And I start to post more walkthroughs. And my followers start to, you know, get engaged a little bit more. And then I get reached out to by Ryan. So Ryan, when you reached out, I remember this because you hit me up on Instagram and you basically were like, I think we could, you know, model a podcast at Mountain Air around this idea that you do online. What was going through your mind when you were thinking about having me on making a show? Oh, I just, I'm, you know, I'm in a place where... Um, well, I'd recently been furloughed from my job where I was making podcasts and stuff like that. So I was like, well, I don't need to have a boss to record and, you know, make a show. So I was looking around for things that, um, you know, that I saw that were my, that were my world that I could like, this would be a show. And I saw your stuff. Um, your basically the, your walkthrough was talking about those things. And, um, I found, you know, of of the things that were like, in my world as a middle-aged dude, that's like one of the things I'm always thinking about is real estate. And so I was like digging in. I actually did some research before I actually contacted you. I was like, what do real estate podcasts sound like? I went through the catalog, anything I could find on, you know, on, on iTunes, I just like download and listen yeah. to it as long as I could handle it. And there was so often that there was like, there was nothing in these shows cause they don't know what they want to talk about. Like that's a problem with like, with a specialist, talking about their job is they don't understand what people want to hear about them. And one thing I was noticing that you were doing is that you were kind of pointing out these things that like people talk about anyway. So I thought we could probably figure this way. I, I knew you well enough to know that like sure that you could handle yourself on a microphone. You know, yeah. was, I took a, so <laughs> we, we, I had you come in and we, we started talking and you know, I think you had a really good way of uh, putting your ideas that come from your specialties and making them sound like something that, Hey, here's something that I act like I know what I'm talking about, but giving me some information. Cause I think that's kind of the, the key to a podcast is like, I want to get some information from someone who knows what they're talking about. So that when I go out and talk, I have a little bit more, you know, I can, you know, I have some ammunition in my, in my tank, you know? Yeah. I love it. And that's where our ideals aligned because what you gave me back that I've been missing for so many years was I love education. I was a teacher for a long time. I miss doing that probably more than anything else. And as much as I love helping people buy and sell houses, I love educating more. And so that was the point of this. During COVID, COVID hits, 
And so often something happens to us in our lives that we have no control over and it changes the nature of the thing that we're doing. The first part of COVID, everybody bought everything. I did well. The second part of COVID, there was nothing to buy. I struggled. And I, I'm not a huge name in real estate here, like some people like Jimmy Rex, who have been out there for much, much, much longer than me and have a much wider array of like influence. And I respect that influence. And so I thought, you know, but where can I still do the thing I love and have my niche? When you hit me up, it was like an answer to prayer of sorts. There's no clear way to make money from it, but at least I was still satiating this need I had to have my voice out there, to have conversations I'm going to have anyway with my clients. Might as well have them with everybody else who's willing to listen. And I love educating, and I want people, even if they don't use me, I have no pride in this. I just want them to go out and have a, a, a better experience buying and selling real estate in our crazy market here than if they wouldn't otherwise know, and then they feel gypped. And so what ended up happening was is the birth of Grant Real Estate happened. My brother taught me the best way to market yourself is to market literally yourself, your name. Easiest way to do that is call it your, yourself. So I called it Grant Real Estate, and I started to up my platforms. Instagram I've upped to daily. TikToks I used to never use until about two months ago. And I'm up to 14,000 followers on that. I'm still a baby relatively, but it's growing. And I find that people really love the engagement on that. So I do daily shots there as well. I'm going to be starting the YouTube channel with different clips from this podcast, from my house showings. And then hopefully we can do more uh, from personally me showing people how to do just daily fixes or maintenance on things that are quite simple. But basically my whole story to wrap everything up is this. At the beginning of this whole journey, I had no idea I would be sitting here now doing this thing. And even now, I feel very blessed and grateful that I get to even do this and that I even have clients right now buying and selling properties from me in the COVID era. But I started out wanting to be an educator and a therapist. And some would say I failed at that. And then I wanted to do my other passion, which was woodworking, which I love to do on the side. Some would say I failed at that. Not only was I failing in terms of the economy. I was audited by the IRS three different times. And I had to learn my first two years, I paid $40,000 in taxes from my earnings. I had to learn how to work with a CPA, let him do his job, help me out, help me to learn. During that process, I also, uh, with a different business partner, was in a small feud. There was a lawsuit. I ended up having to do a payout, but it was a good learning experience. It was something that I learned from. It made me a better agent. It made me look at contracts differently, the law differently. What am I signing? How can I help my clients who are signing feel more comfortable, right? And how can I help them explain things? But this idea of going towards something that you love versus just leaving something you hate was powerful. And I needed it every single day because this is easily the hardest job I've ever done. But because of it, this random journey with all of these things has taught me a couple things. What I want to do versus what I don't. What I can do versus what I can't. And then as I put people along that journey, it broadens my horizon to not only am I an agent, but I'm a broker. I'm on social media. I do walkthroughs. I have this podcast where I do education. I may have a presence on YouTube soon where I have a more video vlogging you know, uh, presence. But the education's there. I love that. Buying and selling is still there. I love that. I know that I don't want to manage. Great. I don't want to do that anymore. 
So if you're listening to this thinking, I want to get into real estate, let me help you. Let me help you answer your questions that you don't even know to ask yet because you don't know what you don't know. But if you're listening to this and you're thinking, I don't want to do real estate and I don't even care about it, but I have something else I love. I'm hoping that this might inspire you to go after it. And instead of looking at everything as a failure, look back on it as a stepping stone to helping you get to where you want to be. If anything, all my failures did was teach me what I either wasn't very good at and I needed to improve on or what I knew I did not want to do in the future. Hopefully, you found this information helpful. In the future, I will share more stories along my journey of transactions I've had, clients I've had, crazy deals. I've had clients stab me in the back, circumvent me. I've had great experiences with returning clients. Uh, I don't blame anybody who doesn't use me because everybody seems to have a dentist. They also seem to have their own realtor, their own people that they trust. All I want to do is arm you with more knowledge so when you go out there, you're more educated, can make better decisions. Thank you so much again to uh, Ryan for taking me on, for proposing this podcast idea, for producing it, doing all the editing, and for giving us his voice today. He's also an entrepreneur who's working at things. If you're out there and you want to hear more specific aspects of the story, DM me at It's In Real Estate on Instagram. Feel free to always reach out. We love to know what people want to listen to. Thanks again to Mountaineer Studios here in Draper, Utah, for all the work that they do to produce these uh, episodes. And stay with us as next week we'll continue bringing you more real estate content.